Blog Talk Radio. Hello, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. Today, we're going to be talking all about vestibular rehabilitation and restoring balance after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion rehabilitation, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health rehabilitation in the Minnesota area. They've greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. You can find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. In case you missed the Brain Health Online Summit, you can still purchase the recordings for just $29, and you can also sign up to be the first to know when we announced our next summit, which might not be that far away. So you'll want to definitely get signed up to be in the know, and that's at the BrainHealthOnlineSummit.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zelmer, and you are listening to the Faces of TBI podcast series, a series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. So today's guest, we have Saloni Agarwal, and she is a certified vestibular rehabilitation PT and works with patients at Health South Rehabilitation Hospital of Ocala, Florida, to rehabilitate vestibular disorders through patient-specific routines that are determined by an in-depth assessment which identifies the base of the issue. Once a patient is discharged from the rehabilitation hospital, he or she will continue rehab through a patient-specific home exercise program designed to improve the efficiency of rehabilitation and achieve faster results. The vestibular rehabilitation program has shown successful recovery results in patients with balance, dizziness, vertigo, and postural dysfunction caused by stroke, head injury, and other neurological dysfunctions. So welcome to the podcast, Saloni. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Amy. It has been a pleasure. Well, I would love if you just gave our listeners a little bit of background about how your journey into becoming a rehabilitation um, therapist and working with um, brain injury patients and getting their balance restored. I'd be happy to. So it all started uh, when I was working as a PT and with one of my patients um, in our inpatient rehabilitation setting. And uh, two, three days into the rehab, all of a sudden we were having some issues with patient participation in the therapy um, routines. So we would go to the patient's room and we'd find this patient just being comfortable in this dark room, no lights lit at all. 
even the light mm. coming from the door opened to his room would bother the patient. I would start watering. The patient would complain of headaches. And it was, we, were, we were like hitting a wall. We could not figure out why that was happening. And um, with the physician's help, with the medication management, we were eventually able to bring the patient to therapy gyms and be able to tolerate some therapy. And at that time, I did not, I wasn't certified in vestibular rehab. I had just studied some theory part in my school. Fortunately, we had um, another therapist who was certified. And just seeing a therapist deal with this patient and the difficulties and the impairments that the patient was having shed some light and just impressed me to the point that I want to learn this now. Like, how do you do it? How do you help patients who are so sensitive to light or sound? And that drove my passion into becoming certified. And now I think I made a great decision to become certified, and now I'm able to work with the patients. That's awesome. That, you know, like you made this connection, like, oh, my gosh, they're having so much trouble with the lights or the sound or, you know, and and you may, you connected those dots. Um, so I, that's just awesome. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that that kind of drove you into working with the vestibular rehab. Um, so for, for people listening who might not quite understand what, vest, what the vestibular system is, could you give us just a really brief overview of what that means? Yes, definitely. So basically vestibular system, all of us have that system. It basically manages our balance, our posture, um, and our vision. It's, it's a very tiny system. It's located in our inner ears, and it's behind, our, behind the temple. And there's one on either side. Um, and basically this system has two essential parts that regulate our balance and uh, tell us where our head position is, where we're standing in space. So those two parts are called semicircular canals and otolith organs. Semicircular canals, um, to develop an analogy, it's like the, uh, the shell of a snail, and they're filled with a fluid, just like a magnetic torpedo level, which we use to level. And so anytime we move our head, this fluid within the semicircular canal moves, and there are some sensory receptors within this fluid that sense the movement. And then coming on to otolith organs, they are where there are structures where these semicircular canals originate from. So basically, like the body of a snail. The difference between these is there is no fluid in the otolith organs. However, there are crystals, and those crystals are supposed to be there. Um, and vestibular system, then whenever any movement occurs in our body, it senses that information uh, and it communicates directly to the brain. So all this information is being fed into the brain where it's analyzed, where it's processed, and accordingly the brain instructs our muscles to perform accordingly. And how... How would you say that that is most impacted by people who've had a brain injury? So when a person has sustained a brain injury, um, for example, a head-on collision, there is a chance that the patient has had a, what we call as a diffused axonal injury. 
So there are multiple parts within the brain that are affected with that injury. Now, in that case, a lot of times, brainstem, where the vestibular system directly communicates to, that can be impaired. Or there could be an injury to the patient's neck, and we have some receptors in our neck that senses the movements and brings the information to the brain, that those prop, uh, prop receptors can be affected with the neck injury as well. And a lot of times there's direct injury to the blood supply to our vestibular system or the vestibular system itself. And that can impair balance to a great deal. Um, it overall reduces a person's ability to process information after a head injury. So it poses a lot of challenge. And and I have heard um, that something like pretty much everybody who has a brain injury or a concussion, um, that their balance is impaired that, and that that is typically the last thing to heal. Um, so even though, like, so say on the sports field and two kids collide and they hit their heads, they might think they're totally fine. They might not be showing any cognitive problems or any outward signs of a concussion, but they find that their balance is impaired, and that is often the problem of letting these kids go back in a game because now their balance is impaired and now they're at risk of, you know, fumbling and hitting their head again. Um, would you say that's some of what you've learned in your experience with balance and, and brain injury? Yes, that is very true. Because anytime, like I mentioned earlier, there is injury to vestibular system or they could be when they had a head-on collision, they could have hurt their ear impacting their vestibular system. So they may have what is, they may show the physical signs would be imbalance and inability to maintain their postural control. However, what's going in the background is that they may have some difficulty with their gaze or vision and mm -hmm. they may have some spatial disorientation issues. They may be too sensitive to the movement or the surface that they're standing on which to us, to people watching them, appears as, oh, the patient can't hold their balance. They're having some difficulties. Um, so, for, like, um, there was a study done on uh, military members. They chose 58 members post-injury. And all of them had a good, uh, common complaint of dizziness. So what the researchers did was they categorized these people into four groups as to what reasons were causing them to be dizzy. So 28% of them had what is called as BPPV, uh, that is benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. 41% of them had migraine, which led them to be dizzy and lose partial control. 19% of them had spatial disorientation issues, making them dizzy and lose, uh, lose partial control and 7% of them had exercise-induced dizziness. So anytime they had a physical exertion or they did some exercises, mm. they were getting dizzy. So all of these people had to have some kind of vestibular rehabilitation to resolve their symptoms. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And um, that BPBV vertigo that you just referenced, yes. Um, yes. You know, that that is where there's the crystals inside the ears have, like, 
moved is um, you can probably explain it more eloquently than me. Um, but I know I hear that happens a lot when you, especially if you have a forest to the head, um, that it, it causes those crystals to move around. Mm-hmm. Yes, researchers say that anytime a patient is at injury, there are 75% of the people with head injuries who will have bilateral benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. So basically what happens in this condition is like the otolith organs where the crystals are dislodged, where the crystals belong to, they get dislodged from their space into the semicircular canals. So now the sensory receptors within the semicircular canals are overactivated. They're getting all sorts of um, feedback that they're now delivering to the brain. And now for brain, to process all that information, it's, it's all abnormal signals. So brain is unable to generate an appropriate motor response. So in that case, the way a clinician would see a patient is that the patient would have nystagmus where the eyes move abruptly to and fro. It could be their side to side or it could be an up and down movement. Or the patient would say, I'm having vertigo attacks, I'm having dizzy, I feel like the world around me is rotating or revolving. Um, and that's basically what happens in BPPV. Um, very common in head injury patients. Mm-hmm. I know for me, um, when I finally got to the right doctor who was able to help me, um, we found that I had a slight nystigmus with that involuntary um, eye movement. And uh-huh. I described, like, I tell people my dizziness, like, when, you know, dizzy is such, like, everybody has their own definition of what dizzy means. <laughs> um, right. And for me, it wasn't spinning. It wasn't, you know, like I was on a merry-go-round going around and around. That's not how my dizzy felt. My dizzy felt more like I was, like, floating in space or kind of, like, rocking. Um, yeah. And when I would go to sleep at night and close my eyes, which, you know, I later learned that it was the nystigmus, but I felt like my eyes were, like, darting around in my head, which essentially they were. Um, and that was causing me to get real kind of dizzy feeling at night, and I'd have to open my eyes and then close them again. And um, it was really frustrating for me to fall asleep at night. True. Yes, it is very debilitating for patients who have severe nystagmus. Uh, it's hard for them to read. It's hard for them to say if they're going mm-hmm. on an elevator and looking down. Or, for example, if somebody younger um, or even elderly, if they had to drive, it's very hard for them to drive and read the signs. So it's very, very yes. debilitating yes. and depressive for the patient. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, you talked about reading, and I, I had even, I had just kind of forgotten about that point. Reading was so hard for me. And, I mean, when I finally had some testing done, um, they had me hold on to the piece of paper and read it out loud. And then yeah. when I was done reading it, she's like, okay, now do that again, but don't move your head. And I yeah. hadn't even noticed I was doing it, but I was moving my head and Instead of my eyes to read, um, which was kind of fascinating. Yeah, so that was fascinating when she pointed that out because I had no idea, you know, that I was doing it. I was just creating a coping mechanism without even being aware of it. 
So what are some of the things that you might do with a patient who is suffering from dizziness or balance issues? Um, What are some of the rehab exercises that you you might do with them? Um, and, And how do you approach someone whose dizziness is, like, so bad that they don't even think that they can do any of these exercises? Because I hear that a lot. They're like, they went to yeah. vision therapy or they went to what vestibular therapy and it was so hard for them and they don't want to go back. And, and I can relate to that. Like, I get that. But it also, like, it takes time for that to um, calm down the, the dizziness. Mm-hmm. And so how, how do you deal with patients? What do you tell them in those situations? For somebody who's ha- who's having dizziness that is so severe for them to be able to move without getting uh, lightheaded or without getting stomach sick, in certain severe cases, the therapist has to wait until their dizziness and symptoms of vertigo have been managed. Only then, a f- physical therapy protocols can be implemented. And for other patients who just who are just having issues with their balance and posture control, it all, there is no um, cookie-cutter approach to that. Every patient is different and has to be evaluated in detail by a therapist to determine what is the root cause for the dizziness and partial imbalance. Um, it could be, like we mentioned in brief earlier, it could be a blood pressure issue, a blood supply issue. It could be mm-hmm. a CNS, a central nervous system issue. It could be a true BPPV, or it could be related to migraine or any other uh, neurological conditions. So in, as far as physical therapy goes, a subjective history from the patient as to what happened in previous um, times with them, were, were they hit, did they have an ear infection, um, what comorbidities they have, play an important role. After that, a therapist would do an objective assessment where the therapist is doing their muscle testing, how strong their muscles are, how good their balance is, um, if their proprioceptive uh, reactions uh, feedback is working well or not. And then the therapist would eventually move on to vestibular-specific assessment parts where the therapist would either... um, obstruct vision and test if the patient is able to control their balance or not. The patient, uh, the therapist would either have the patient stand on different surfaces, a firm and an unstable surface with eyes open or eyes closed, um, or have them stand with an alternate base of support um, with one leg in front of the other, similarly with eyes open, eyes closed. Um, there are tests to determine if the uh, the vertebral artery is occluded or being obstructed somewhere because it supplies directly to the vestibular system. The therapist would do those tests. Um, therapists would be testing the vision, which we call as a dynamic visual acuity test. Um, and then there are specific DPPV-related tests where the therapist would be positioning the patient's head and their body in specific positions to elicit the symptoms to see which canal is involved. And based on that, and the symptoms that the patient has been reporting, the therapist would design a problem-oriented approach and go from there. And then as the patient shows progress, the therapist would have started from very simple 
uh, unique task activities and then slowly move on to complex activities, multitasking or dual tasking activities. That's great. And you, you touched on something early um, that I want to come back to, and you talked about how you give them an assessment and your treatment plans are individualized to each specific patient. You know, basically no two patients have the exact same problem, so no two patients have the exact same treatment plan. And I think that's so important for people listening to understand Um there there are many doctors out there who don't truly understand that and they just try to put you into a one-size-fits-all rehabilitation program. Um, right. And, you know, that might not be effective for you because you might not have X, Y, or Z going on. You know, it might be A, B, C for you, um, right. whereas this, you know, X, Y, Z helps somebody else. Um so that's really important to understand when working with a doctor. And if, if, if they don't seem to be listening to you or not getting it, you know, find a new doctor. Find a different therapist. I mean, there's, you know, I guess it depends where you live, but there are just so many options out there that I just hate to see people getting stuck in these situations where nothing's working for them. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear you bring that point up about the individualized treatment plan. Yeah. Do you anything more to and add always, to that? And I was just going to say that it's always better to have a second opinion whenever you're in doubt or to even talk to the, the mm-hmm. doctor or the uh, physical therapist who's attending to you. If you don't see any improvement in your symptoms, it's better to communicate to them on a daily basis and even during the treatment sessions and give them feedback. It could be that based on their assessment, the treatment method that they chose for you, they may have to tweak it a little bit. It may not be altogether a wrong approach. They may just have to tweak it. And they may just have to think out of the box. So I think therapist and Mm -hmm. patient communication, physician-patient communication becomes of an utmost importance when uh, talking about the efficacy of treatment. And, you know, brain injury really is a complex um, issue. And so it can take time to tweak and find the the right program that works for you. So, you know, don't get discouraged if it's not working immediately. Um, But like you said, communicate with your doctor or your clinician. And I, I... so one thing I wish I had done, I wish I had brought a notebook with me every time I went to the doctor because inevitably by the time I got home, I forgot what we talked about, right? Um, right. So if, if you can and you can remember, you know, bring a notebook, put it in your purse, put it in your tote bag and, and try to make a habit of always bringing that. And, you know, you can write down your questions that you want to ask your doctor and then write down any, anything that they tell you. And, and even better, if you have someone you can bring with you um, exactly. to help you remember. Because <laughs> I know that was, a, that was a huge struggle for me um, was that the whole memory thing and, and connecting the dots when I got home. Like, oh, wait, what did we talk about? <laughs> yes. So um, 
Yeah, so, you know, the whole individualized treatment plan, having good communication with your doctor. Um, what, what else, anything else do you want to add to the conversation um, about rehabilitation in the vestibular system? Uh, as for some, I've had people ask me, so how long do you treat somebody who's had vestibular issues or vestibular dysfunction? Mm. So to that I would like to add that there is no given or set time duration that, okay, you'll be, you'll be all better in a week. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, like the reference I made earlier for the military members post-injury, everybody had a different cause leading to the dizziness, and each of those four groups had different treatment durations to resolve their symptoms. For example, patients with spatial disorientation, the 19% of the military members, it took them 39 weeks of uh, vestibular rehabilitation therapy to resolve their symptoms versus somebody who, uh, the 28th person who had uh, benign positional paroxysmal vertigo, it only took them a week to come out of their symptoms and resume their normal function. So the point that you mentioned earlier, um, to give it time and not get discouraged that your symptoms are not improving is, makes total relevance uh, because depending on how, you, how one's body is responding, how severe the symptoms are, and how, well you're, how compliant are you with the home exercise program that the therapist is giving to you, your symptoms and the resolution of them is all going to depend on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point. You know, you know, it goes back to no two injuries are the same, no two recoveries are the same. So... You know, you're you're so right in that what takes one person two weeks and it might take another person 30 weeks. Um, and I know, you know, it can get really frustrating and discouraging, but, um, you know, it, it that patience is a virtue, right? <laughs> Especially with yes. a brain injury. <laughs> uh. Yes, it's very appropriate for this topic. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Well, Saloni, do you have any final thoughts, any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? Yes. Um, I would definitely say that movement is the key when you're rehabilitating yourself from a vestibular dysfunction. Do have a regimen to follow the home exercise program and challenge your system on an ongoing basis because that's how the brain learns to desensitize abnormal signals and fine-tune them to keep you in balance and to help you resume your normal function. And then I would like to say for elderly population that if you're having a sudden rise in your imbalance and you're falling more often and you're being dizzy, try not to just refer it to being aged or as a consequence of Go see a doctor, and or if you're already seeing a doctor, ask them to refer you to a physical therapist or an audiologist who can do further assessment. That's great advice. Thank you for bringing up the elderly. I know the 65-plus population is at the highest risk of fall, so that's, yeah. that's a great thing to bring up. So, Saloni, thank you so so much for being here. This is really, really great information. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to our listeners about this really important topic. 
Yes, it was great having being on your show, and thank you for the opportunity. It was very nice talking to you and to your listeners. Thank you so much, and thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you got some really good information from Saloni today, um, some really great stuff here on the vestibular system and balance after brain injury. So thank you all for listening, and I want to thank you, thank our sponsor again, Minnesota Functional Neurology, the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health rehabilitation in Minnesota. You can find them on, online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. And again, be sure to visit facesoftbi.com to listen to previous podcasts and see any upcoming topics that we might be discussing. And thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey, and I will see you all again next time. Have a great day, everyone.